0: Today we are wrapping up this teaching series in the book of Jonah. I hope that over the last couple of weeks you have begun to get your hands around this book. And that you really do have a good grasp, a good understanding of the meaning and the message of the book of Jonah. And that you understand now, maybe if you didn't before, you understand that the book of Jonah is much more than... a a neat Bible story about a man and a big fish, that there's much more truth here than that. Let me remind you of the three things that we've talked about, and we'll just go through these quickly. Write them down if if you've missed them along the way. Number one, we learned that salvation is of the Lord. This is really the theme of the book. Salvation is of the Lord. It's chapter 2, verse number 9, 9. Where this is Jonah's declaration. At the end of his prayer, the last sentence in his prayer of chapter 2, he says that salvation is of the Lord. The second thing that we learn is that God is full of mercy. and Man, we ought to thank the Lord that he is. Amen. Praise God that that's who he is. He's not a vengeful, angry God. But he's a God who's full of mercy. This is chapter 4. And verse number two, where Jonah says, you are a gracious God, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, and of great kindness. The third thing that we learned last Sunday is that conviction, faith, and repentance, conviction, faith, and repentance lead to salvation. That we, we are rescued by the Lord when we are honest about our own need, our own sin, when we have confidence in who Christ is, and we turn from our sin to Christ and trust in him. That repentance, uh, that conviction, faith, and repentance is what leads us to salvation. So those are the three things primarily that we've talked about over the last two Sundays. Today, I want to conclude this series by um, just noting with you one other aspect of the book of Jonah. And that has to do with the fact that when you uh, think about or read the story of Jonah, you actually can see Jesus in the life of Jonah very clearly. Another way to say that would simply be that Jonah is a type of Jesus. Or when we look at Jonah, we can see Jesus. We know this because the Bible is in fact all about Jesus. In fact, I want you to say this with me. They're going to put this up on the screen so we can read it out loud together at both campuses. Say it with me. It is to say, my Bible, my Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells the story of Jesus Christ. Say that one more time. My Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells the story of Jesus Christ. That is to say, that the story of Jesus is not simply contained in Matthew's Gospel forward to Revelation. And the Old Testament is about some other kind of God that really frightens us and we can't really understand him. No, the message of the Bible all the way through is the message of Jesus. Sometimes people say, maybe you've said this, I don't really read the Old Testament because I don't understand a lot of stuff that's there. And it really is kind of out of my, under, my, my realm of understanding. We don't live that way anymore. We don't do those things anymore. And so I just stay away from the, the Old Testament. I just read the New Testament because I like to read about Jesus. Well, let me give you a helpful hint to help you uh, in, in understanding your Old Testament. Write it down. It is that you should always look for Jesus in the text Always look for Jesus in the text. No matter where in the Bible you're reading, no matter what the subject matter is that you're reading about, always look for Jesus. And if you'll look for him, you'll find him. The story of Jesus is woven through the entire Bible like a scarlet thread. And you will surely come across uh, Jesus throughout the scriptures. So how does a book like Jonah, for instance, which makes no mention of Jesus by name at all, how does a book like Jonah teach us about Jesus? Or what about Genesis for that matter? You don't find the name Jesus in the book of Genesis. What about Exodus or Leviticus? Deuteronomy? How about Chronicles or Kings or or some of the prophets? When you're reading these books which don't mention the name of Jesus, how is it that they teach us about Jesus? Well, the answer to that question really is is varied. I would suggest, first of all, that you find Jesus in the promises of the Old Testament as an example, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God makes a promise. He says to Satan that one day the seed of this woman whom you've deceived will rise up and crush your head. It is a promise that one day he will deliver us from the deception and the sin and the, and the uh, guilt of our, of our sin and our fall. It's a promise about Jesus. It's clearly pointing to Christ. You'll find these promises throughout the Old Testament. Another way that you find Jesus in the Old Testament is through prophecies. Obviously, the the prophets talked about and pointed us to Jesus. As an example, Isaiah 7 and verse number 14, where the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' name isn't mentioned there, but that's a prophecy of the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus. So how do these books that don't mention Jesus teach us about Jesus? Well, through promises and through prophecies. But there's a third way, and this is really where I want us to focus in the book of Jonah today, and that is through, write this down, through types and shadows. As you read the Old Testament, you will find that God often used types and shadows, foreshadowing, To reveal Jesus ahead of his arrival on the earth. To reveal to us the incarnation of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, and in fact, the death and resurrection of Jesus. These things are all typified or foreshadowed through types and shadows. Now very often people can understand promises and that makes a lot of sense to us or we understand prophecies and we can get, wrap our heads around that but we miss it a little bit more when it comes to these types and shadows and we can read right through them without seeing Jesus. And so I want to help you with this a little bit. Can, will you indulge me just a moment? Can we go to Bible school for just a little bit today? If you're okay with that, shout amen. Okay, if you hadn't shouted amen, we were going anyway. So thank you for your encouragement. So let me help you understand types and shadows in the Bible. Hold your finger in Jonah. Go over to the New Testament book of Hebrews, if you will. Go to Hebrews and meet me in chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Where in Hebrews chapter number 8, the writer explains to us uh, God's use of types and shadows. And he does so by explaining the Levitical system of sacrifices and priests in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Now watch what happens when I start saying tabernacle, priests and sacrificial system, some of you, your eyes roll back in your head. And you're like, I don't read that stuff because we don't make sacrifices and I don't understand what all those priests were doing and blood for this and and that bull for that and lamb for the other and I, I I just don't go there. I want you to learn to be comfortable to go there because what's being typified or foreshadowed in those things is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And it's rich when you look for it as you read through the Old Testament. Now, in Hebrews chapter 8, you're able to get some sense of this typology from the Old Testament. Let me show you chapter 8, verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, Now, of the things which we have spoken... This is the sum. We have a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. Now stop right there. When the writer of Hebrews says, here's the sum of all things that I've been discussing, we have a high priest. Who is our high priest? Somebody shout his name. It's Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. And he says that he is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. He is the minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So he's talking about a heavenly tabernacle with a heavenly high priest. But then he goes on beginning in verse number 3 to explain to us that the earthly tabernacle and the earthly priesthood that ministered in that tabernacle and made sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament, that all of those priests and all of their sacrifices within that system were all pointing us to the ultimate priest, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, his own blood, and the ultimate tabernacle in heaven. All of those in the Old Testament were foreshadows. They were looking ahead. So when I read about them in the Old Testament, I don't need to bog down in that Levitical system. I need to look for what it's pointing me to. It's pointing me to Jesus. If y'all understand, say amen. Does that that make sense to you? He says that these earthly things represented the more heavenly things. Look at verse number five. He said these things serve as an example. It means a pattern. And as a shadow of heavenly things. These earthly things are shadows of these heavenly things. Go to chapter 9 and look at verse number nine, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 9, verse 8, he says, The Holy Ghost was signifying that the way into the holiest of all had not yet been made manifest, while the first tabernacle, that's the earthly tabernacle, was standing. Which was a figure... The first tabernacle in the Old Testament was a figure, a shadow, a foreshadowing, or a type of the ultimate, eternal tabernacle in heaven. In fact, when verse number 9 of chapter 9 says that the the first tabernacle was a figure, the the word that's translated figure is parabole. You you recognize what English word might come from that? Parabole? Parable? Parable? It's an earthly representation of a greater truth, a heavenly reality. He says that earthly tabernacle is pointing us to the heavenly tabernacle. Look at chapter 10 uh, and verse number 5. Chapter 10, I'm not verse 5, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law was a shadow of good things or better things to come. So do you understand the principles here? God in the Old Testament uses types and shadows to point us to Jesus and his ministry for us. Now, you can draw from this passage in Hebrews, and we don't take, won't take the time, of course, to read it all, but you can draw from it some guiding principles for understanding types and shadows. Let me give you these three principles really quickly. Are y'all okay? If you're doing okay, say amen. You okay? Here's the first guiding principle to understand types and shadows and how they point us to Jesus. Write it down. Number one, they are real. Types and shadows are real people or events that look forward to point us toward real future people or events. So they're not stories that are made up. They are actual events or people that we read about in the Old Testament that are representative of future things that will occur, primarily Christ. Number two, second guiding principle for understanding types and shadows in the Old Testament is that the object of the type, in other words, what the type is pointing us to, the object of the type is greater than the type itself. We see this in Hebrews. There's an earthly tabernacle. There's a greater tabernacle in heaven. There's an earthly priesthood which points us to a greater priest whose name is Jesus. There's an earthly sacrificial system, the blood of bulls and goats, which points us to a greater sacrifice which is the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. It never, types never point down. They always point upward. That's the second principle. The third principle is this. It is that we must understand that types and and, uh, shadows have essential and non-essential qualities or characteristics. Let me explain what I mean. They have essential characteristics and non-essential. What I mean by that is not every quality or characteristic of the type is essential to the object or the antitype or the one that it's pointing to. In other words... There might be some qualities or characteristics about the the person or event that is the type foreshadowing the the reality that these qualities and characteristics don't necessarily match with the reality. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you four or five examples of types in the Old Testament. Here's the first one, Adam. Adam is a type of Christ. Now, that's not what Pastor Jim says. That's what Pastor Paul says. Romans chapter 5, Paul says that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. But guess what Adam did? He disobeyed God, right? He he sinned, and we know Jesus never did. And yet, even though there there are those non-essential qualities in Adam's life, there there are also essential qualities in Adam's life which make him a type of Jesus. Let me give you just a few more examples. Do you remember how the Bible says, if, or says that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and God came and confronted them for their sin, what was the first thing that had happened to them when they sinned? Do you remember they were naked and they knew no shame? They were, before they sinned, they were perfectly innocent. And what was the very first thing that happened when they sinned? They became aware. Guilt, a conscience came. Their conscience had been seared, and they felt guilt, and so they tried to cover their nakedness. They sewed leaves together to cover their nakedness. Well, what did God do? The Bible says he made them skins of animals to cover themselves. We'll read that, and we we'll go, oh, "Well, awesome. he made coats of skins. Do you know what that means? It means that for the first time in God's garden, there was death, because prior to that, nothing had died, because death is the result of sin, and prior to sin, nothing had died. And so what did God do to cover their sin? He shed blood to cover them. That's a type of Jesus whose blood would be shed to cover us in his righteousness. Do you see it? You read through that passage in Genesis and you go, Oh, wow, that's a picture of what Jesus did for me. The third one I would recommend to you, just as an example, has to do with Abraham and the offering of Isaac in Genesis 22. When God said to Abraham, Take your son Isaac and offer him as a as a burnt offering to me. And in the last moment, just before he slays his son, God God, uh, reveals to him a a lamb, a male lamb, a ram caught in a thicket. And he takes his son off the altar and he takes the ram and he puts that in his place. It is a picture of Christ dying in our place. What about the Passover lamb in, in Exodus chapter number 12? Where the Passover lamb is slain and the blood applied to the doorpost and the lintel of the Jews dwelling in Egypt and God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over Do you. You recognize that, you read it, you go, that's not just the story of their exodus. That is the story of our ultimate Passover, the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus, whose blood covers us. Do you understand? Yeah. All of these things are images, representations. What about the book of Ruth? If you read the book of Ruth and you just think this is a nice romantic story, of a successful businessman in Bethlehem who marries this foreign girl and they have a wonderful family together and you go, well, that's sweet and you totally miss it that Boaz is a type of Jesus and that Ruth was a pagan who needed to be redeemed to be a part of God's family and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He redeemed us and put us in God's family. Are you with me? All of these are just examples and I could give you dozens and dozens of others that as you read through the Old Testament, you will come across these types and shadows, foreshadowing that Jesus one day would come. From Genesis to Revelation, my Bible is a book about Jesus. If you are doing okay, shout amen. Now go back to Jonah, and you're going to say, finally. In the book of Jonah, I want you to see the foreshadowing of Jesus. I want you to see Jesus in the life And the experience of Jonah. I want you to never again read Jonah as a story about a man and a fish. And I want you to read Jonah as a story about Jesus. Because it tells us the story of Jesus. Now, by the way, we know this because Jesus said it himself. I mentioned it last week, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, even so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. For three days and three nights. But Jonah's life is a foreshadowing of Jesus in many ways beyond just that death and resurrection. We're going to see this as we read the text today. Now, I'm going to read beginning in chapter 1 and verse number 1. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. If Can you stand 17 verses of scripture being read in church today? I think you'll survive, okay? I'm going to read the whole chapter and I want you to look for Jesus as we read it. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken. And the mariners, remember we said these were Phoenician sailors, the mariners were afraid, and they cried, every one of them, unto his God. They cast forth the wares, the tackle, their merchandise, whatever they could do to lighten the ship. They cast it into the sea. But Jonah had gone down into the sides of the ship, and he was laying down, and he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God, if it would be so that God will think upon us and that we will not perish. And they said every one of them to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may no, for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil has come upon us. By the way, I love that. Tell us, O you, whose fault this is. Tell us, what is your occupation? Where have you come from? What is your country, and who are your people? And he said unto them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was the storm, the tempest was getting worse and worse. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not. For the sea was raging and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it has pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord. These Phoenician sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifice unto the Lord and they made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Did you look for Jonah in the text? Now before we point out some ways in which Jonah is a foreshadowing of Jesus, I want to answer the obvious protest that maybe you're raising right now and it is to say, how could such a rebel be a foreshadowing of Christ? How could a man who clearly disobeyed God's command, who is such a reluctant prophet, who refuses, in this case, to obey God, how could his life ever point anybody to Jesus? Well, two reasons, I think. Number one, remember the principle I gave you a moment ago that not every quality or characteristic of a life, a type, has to necessarily match up and represent the object of that type. That's one reason. But there's a second reason, and it's the grace of God. Can I just say, I'm glad that God allows imperfect lives to point other imperfect lives to Jesus. Otherwise, none of us would ever represent Jesus at all. Jonah's disobedience was not a type of Christ, but his experience was, in fact, a type of Christ. And I hope you saw Jesus in the text. Now, one of the ways that you see Jesus in the text that I'm not really going to talk about, you may have noticed it. Uh, did you notice that he went down into the ship? There was a sea. There was a ship on the sea. There was a storm that the ship was called in. And Jonah was down in the bottom of the ship sleeping and had to be awakened so that the sea could be calmed and the storm would pass. Did you notice that? Does that sound remotely Like what you've read in the Gospels of Jesus, calming the sea on the Sea of Galilee. It's a great example of a shadow of Jesus, but it's not part of the message, so forget it, at least for now. Here's the first way I want you to notice that Jonah is a type of Jesus. Number one, write it down. He left the Hebrews to go among the Gentiles. Jonah left the Hebrews to go among the Gentiles. You remember last week I said to you, maybe week number one actually, I said to you that God gave Jonah an unusual command. It was to leave the Jewish people and go preach to the Gentile people. And Jonah disobeyed that, but ultimately in God's sovereignty, he ended up, even in his disobedience, moving among the Gentiles. He goes down to Joppa and he gets on a ship. And going to get on that ship, he joins with Gentile sailors. These men are Phoenicians from Lebanon. And he goes down among them. Look at what verse number 9 says. When they ask him in verse number 8, Who are you? Where have you come from? He says in verse number 9, I am a Hebrew. I fear the, God, uh, the Lord God who made the sea and the dry land. God called Jonah to leave the Hebrews and go to the Ninevites. Jonah left the Hebrews and he moved among the Phoenicians. And this represents, this typifies, this foreshadows the ministry of Jesus. Did you know that when Jesus came in the beginning of his ministry, he did not come to the Gentiles, he came to the Jew? John tells us this, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to them. In Matthew chapter number 10, when Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the kingdom in the beginning of their ministry, he says to them in verse number 5, go preach the kingdom but do not go into any villages of the Gentiles. You only go into the Jewish villages and you go tell the Jews about the kingdom, but do not tell the Gentiles. In the the beginning of his ministry, he came only to the Jews, but Jesus then moved from the Hebrews and moved among the Gentiles. And Do you know one of the very first examples where he did this? It's a beautiful story. It's in Mark chapter 7. Don't turn, go read it later. Mark chapter 7, it has to do with an encounter that Jesus had with a woman, a Gentile woman, whose daughter was demon-possessed. Now, if you'll go this afternoon and read Mark chapter number 7, you will find that the Bible says that Jesus is in the Galilee region, and then it says this, if you're listening, shout amen. And Jesus arose and went. In the same way that Jonah arose, arise and go to Nineveh, it says that Jesus arose and he left, as far as I know, the only time he ever left the Jewish territory of Israel and went to Gentile territory. He went to a place called Tyre and Sidon. And he encounters a woman in Tyre and Sidon, which is in Lebanon today. And she's not a Jew. She's a foreigner. Do you know what her nationality was? She was a Phoenician. In the... Same way that Jonah left the Hebrews and the first place he landed was with some Phoenician sailors. Jesus, in his ministry, leaves the Hebrews, goes up and encounters a Phoenician lady. I just like to believe she's the great, 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 great granddaughter of one of those sailors. And in the, are you all with me? In the same way that Jonah left the Hebrews and carried the gospel to the Phoenicians, Jesus left the Hebrews on that day. And he carried the gospel to a Phoenician woman. She said, Lord, heal my daughter. She's sick. And you know what Jesus said? I didn't come to heal your daughter. I came to the Jewish people. He said it this way. It doesn't make sense that I would take the children's bread. The Jews are the children. I would take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. That's you and me if you're not sure. The Gentile dogs. He said, I came to give bread to the children. And she said, yes, Lord but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table he said what faith your daughter is healed jesus came to the jews but he moved from the hebrews to the gentiles just like jonah did in fact ultimately jesus said matthew 11:28 come to me all not just the jews but all you who labor and are heavy laden because Jonah moved from, left the Hebrews to go among the Gentiles, the Phoenicians learned the power of God. And they never forgot it and they told the story for the rest of their lives and passed it down through the generations. Because Jonah left the Hebrews and moved among the Gentiles, the Ninevites repented, chapter 3, verse number 10. And because Jesus left the Hebrews and moved among the Gentiles, you and I have been adopted into God's family, sons and daughters of God. Jonah is a foreshadowing of Jesus, number 2. Jonah is a foreshadowing of Jesus because he willingly laid down his life to save others. He willingly laid down his life to save others. Chapter 1, the storm comes. The Phoenician sailors cannot outrun it. They can't navigate around it. They can't push through it. Their ship is being broken apart. And they say, what are we to do? Verse number 11, they say, what should we do? And Jonah said, verse 12, take me up and throw me overboard. Jonah knew the only way these men would survive was if he gave his life. And in the same way, this is what Jesus did, loved ones. The Bible says that no man took his life. John chapter 10, I think, Jesus said, no man takes my life. I freely lay it down. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. In the same way that Jonah willingly laid his life down so that others may live, Jesus did the same. Number three, Jonah is a type of Jesus And that he was temporarily swallowed up in death. We talked about this last week. He was temporarily swallowed up in death. This is verse number 17 of chapter 1. The Lord prepared a great fish. The fish swallowed up Jonah and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 6. Jonah says, I went down in that fish. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from corruption, from death. O oh Lord my God. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 12, as you know, that this, this death and resurrection of Jonah was a tip tip of uh, typified or foreshadowed his own burial and resurrection. Remember that every foreshadowing, every type in the Old Testament points to something greater. Jonah pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus said that in Matthew chapter number 12, that Jonah is a sign of his uh, resurrection, he said, a greater than Jonah has come. How does Jonah represent Jesus? Well, he left the Jews to move among the Gentiles. He willingly laid his life down for others, and he was temporarily swallowed up in death. Jesus was buried, but he rose from the dead on the third day. And then finally, Jonah is a type of Jesus in that he came forth that is, came forth out of death, preaching the message of God's righteousness and grace. Jonah comes out of the fish in chapter 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to him. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach what I tell you to preach. And He goes, he goes and he preaches the, the righteousness and the grace of God. Forty days and you will be destroyed for your sin. He preaches the gospel to them. and In the same way, Jesus came forth from the grave preaching the good news of God's grace and God's righteousness. And he gave that message to the church. And you're sitting here today hearing this story of Jonah which points you to Jesus because Jesus came forth from the grave preaching that message. And he gave it to the church and he gave it to me to preach to you today. And you say, Pastor, why would God do this? Why would God reveal truth like this? He made promises in the Old Testament that Jesus would come. He prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would come. Wouldn't that be enough? Why did God need to take lives and circumstances and nations and people and and through their circumstances start pointing through types and shadows, pointing to Jesus, coloring in the promises and the prophecies with these living examples? Why would he do it? I believe he did it for this reason. So that when Jesus finally came, the Jewish people should have said, I I get it, I understand. I've seen the promises, I've read the prophecies, I know the, the foreshadowings, and I recognize Jesus. Now we know they rejected him as a nation. But I believe God gave these types and shadows so they would receive him. And I wonder, how has God prepared your heart to receive him today? How has God colored in the text, the scriptures for you last week, last month? How's God been working in your life to bring you to this moment where you understand, I get it, Jesus is the savior and salvation is of the Lord and Jonah shows me that I need Jesus. I wonder if that's happened for you. If it has, I hope you'll surrender to him today and that you'll receive him as your savior. Whether you're here whether you're at East Asheville, whether you're watching online, that you'll give your life to Christ.